Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everybody, welcome into it. This is the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday nights on the VolQuest.com YouTube channel. I'm Eric Kane. That man right there is Brent Hubs, Tennessee, a 44-6 winner over Kentucky. And a lot to talk about. Tennessee's 8-0, 4-0 in SEC play. And Brent, something we'll be discussing all week long, not just us here in Knoxville, but in Athens, around the SEC, college football, number one versus number two, Tennessee and Georgia. Before we get into there, a lot of things... To, to like about this Tennessee 44-6 win over Kentucky. And we're going to chat with it over here on the Rocky Top Rewind for the next hour. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much. Subscribe if you haven't already and pound that like button. Let's get this to 500 likes if you wouldn't mind. That'd help us out an awful lot. We're going to have Troy Fleming at the bottom of the hour. But Brent, 44-6, you went back and rewatched the game. I went back and rewatched the game. A lot stood out, but I think something you and I can both agree on, the defense stood out and they stepped up in a big way. Yeah, they did, and there's a lots of, there's lots of places that they st- stood out defensively. You know, in the secondary, obviously, uh, this was their best game. When you talk about three interceptions, a couple of pass breakups, um, defended the middle of the football field vertically. You know, down the middle, they tried to get the Kentucky tried to tie in twice on those crossers. Uh, Trayvon Flowers had a terrific PBU, uh, and uh, Jalen McCullough got his hands on a ball as well and a little zone coverage. So Tennessee was good. Uh, there, to me, the takeaway again, though, is Rodney Garner's group up front because they created pressure in passing situations, Eric. And then maybe the best thing that they did was the, the interior pressure they got from the defensive front, I thought caused Chris Rodriguez to, to have to jump cut, have to move laterally, which is not his game. He's a downhill, hit it, you know, straight downhill and wherever the block's supposed to be. And Tennessee did a really good job of making him stop at the line of scrimmage or move laterally at the line of scrimmage, which allowed Tennessee to really rally to the ball. I, I thought what they did uh, overall on the defensive line was good, but I thought what they did in the defensive interior really disrupted Kentucky's run game other than that one touchdown drive where Rodriguez got going. He had 40 yards on eight carries. You take that drive out of it, Tennessee was really good. I think he had 24 yards on 10 carries uh, elsewhere. So um, I, I like what Rodney Garner's group did on the inside. That was the my biggest – probably my biggest defensive takeaway in rewatch. And I thought they were good, particularly Dejan Terry watching it live. They were even better when I watched on the rewind uh, in just terms of making their running backs run laterally. Yeah, uh, there, there was a lot that stood out. Um, obviously, the interior defensive line. I think DJ Terry made some money yesterday. I think him and Amari Thomas really settling in. This is about the what third, fourth game that they've started and played the majority of the snaps at defensive tackles, at least kind of leading that rotation and uh, they're playing really well off each other. But my biggest takeaway defensively, um, and there's no right or wrong answer here, but, I mean, again, you had Kamal Haddon that dressed out, uh, didn't play. He was available, but he didn't play. It was only going to be used in an emergency-type situation. Of course, Christian Charles is still out. There's no Warren Burrell. And you had Brandon Turnage, who couldn't find snaps earlier in the season, starting at one cornerback spot. And you have Danico Slaughter, who started the very first game of his career, didn't play defense hardly at all up until the LSU game, was forced into action the last couple of weeks playing some safety because Jalen McCullough was out. And then McCullough's back, and you'd move Danico Slaughter over to cornerback, a position that he's repped in practice, especially this past spring. And I understand Kentucky's wide receivers, as he said after the game, aren't as experienced. I know Kentucky's offense is not as explosive from the outside, but Danico Slaughter stepping up in that situation, creating two turnovers himself, popping the ball uh, loose so Juwan Mitchell could have an interception, high-pointing the football, getting an interception later in that football game. thought that Nico Slaughter and Brandon Tarnish played really nice. And again, just continues to build confidence for this pass defense that's not good statistically, 
but guys are growing up, baptism by fire, and you saw that, Brent, last night with those two guys. Yeah, particularly Slaughter. I mean, I, just the, the the confidence to make the two plays that he made and, and the belief. And uh, th- that's the thing that jumped out about the secondary and rewatch is they, they trusted that defensive front, Eric, that they were going to get there and give Will Levis – you know, a lot of problems, you know, and make him move and, and throw the ball with the blitz stuff. So they they were tighter in coverage. Those two corners played tighter in coverage than Tennessee's been getting uh, coverage out of the corners all year long. And I'm not trying to rip on the guys who weren't out there, but but conservative would be the best way to describe Tennessee's corners early in the year. Those two guys didn't play, didn't play conservative last night. I mean – Slaughter played the ball. He, he didn't really play the receiver on that play. A lot of people say, well, the ball was underthrown and he was not in great spot. He played the ball in the air terrifically. Um, lo- love what, what Danico Slaughter did last night. Look, Beckham's an interesting question. I, I don't think this would happen, but because of his versatility, could you play him at the nickel position this week to try to help defend those Georgia tight ends? How creative would Tennessee get? Do they want to try to really move guys around? just because he does play physical, but he's got the length to play against taller guys. But I, I think he's a corner. I think you play him out there at corner and, and leave him there. I think he's found a home. He may not love that home, um, you know, from a mentality standpoint, but uh, I, I think if you're Tennessee, you, you've got to look at that and say, hey, we feel really pretty solid about what we're getting out, out of Danico Slaughter and where he's at right now. And, and then Turnage should have taken confidence from last night. I, no knock on turn turnage. I thought turnage played well. Slaughter was the one that that I was really impressed. It's not easy to move from a box safety, mm-hmm. you know, out there to play corner and man coverage. I thought you did a good job with that last night. Yeah, we got plenty of time. We're going to discuss Jalen Hyatt. We'll discuss Hendon Hooker. What that offense did as well. But again, the defense was a story for me because again, it's it's not been great at times. So along with Danico Slaughter. Uh, along with what Brandon Turner's did, we had a question, you know, or the question you were referencing really just a moment ago about would you play Danico Slaughter at the star position because of the physicality against Georgia? Brent, I like what Wesley Walker brought to the table. He didn't grade out, you know, extremely well per pro football focus, and that's just one metric. Uh, but he was physical. He was he played those wide receiver screens, especially in the second half, had three tackles for loss. Um, yeah, he missed some tackles. He wasn't perfect, don't get me wrong. But I thought Wesley Walker's a guy that continues to play. He's not played enough. Uh, Tamari McDonald's, you know, done enough to hold on to that spot at points at times this season. But again, whether it's Danico Slaughter, Brandon Turnage, Wesley Walker, Deshaun Rucker at points in times this season, that secondary, you know, it's kind of been, you know, mixing and matching a little bit. They're all experienced now and they're trying to round into form and they're going to be tested this week with those tight ends and everything Georgia presents. Yeah, there's no doubt that, that they're going to be tested. I, I like what Wesley Walker does. He seems like a guy who's better closer to the line of scrimmage than, than in open space. And so I, I don't know how great he would be coverage and, and a lot of route matching back there. It seems like when he shows up and rewatch stuff, it's it's around the ball at the line of scrimmage, you know, whether it's a blitz, um, it's a run, a run fit. Um, I like the physicality he plays with. Um, I, I think the other thing that stood out to me in watching this is, and I don't know if this is because Jalen McCullough was back last night, McCullough didn't light up the stat sheet, but I thought Trayvon Flowers played more free last night. I, I thought when you watched it on Rewind, he was more assertive, Eric. It's like he had more confidence in where to go or maybe some responsibility was off of him of getting everybody lined up and it was back on McCullough. I thought his reaction to things he saw with his eyes last night were, were really good. I thought he was good downhill in the run game and in mm-hmm. that wide receiver screen game. He had the nice pass breakup. Uh, I, I liked what what Trayvon Flowers did. I thought that was one of his better games played in his career uh, w- when you go back and look at what he did. I, I thought he was around the football, but, again, more decisive. Didn't seem to be late with a lot of stuff last night. Yeah, I would agree. There was there was one play in particular. It was in the second half, and uh, it might have been right at this point who was running the football, but, I mean, it was teach tape. You, you can plug that up there and say, all right, if you're a, if you're a defensive backer, if you're a linebacker, flowing to the football, passing off responsibilities, running the alleyway is what I call it a lot of times, and then making the tackle at or around the line of scrimmage. He had one of those plays in the second half that was really good. Just, again, like you said, playing free over the top. And maybe he was a little bit more loose and playing free because you had a guy that you played about 50 other games with, you know, besides you back there in that defensive backfield. And because you have some guys who were stepping up on the outside as well. So, 
yeah, I thought Trayvon Flowers played pretty well uh, getting back in there. Jalen McCullough stepping back in. Um, you know, he he didn't have a dynamite game or anything. I mean, he didn't – I don't remember seeing him get beat a couple of times. I thought he made a really nice play in the first half, kind of in no man's land, had a guy in front of him, had a guy digging behind him and kind of baited the deeper throw and got a hand on there. That was a good play. But no doubt about it, there's a reason Jalen McCullough plays. Getting him back into the lineup, if it helps Trayvon Flowers, it helps Trayvon Flowers. But it, it kind of gives him more of a sense of direction in that back end. And Tennessee's done a nice job holding up you know, with, with with scotch tape a little bit the last couple of weeks with all these injuries. But there seems to be more of a direction now with McCullough back in that secondary, and, and that's how I saw it yesterday. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is, you know, that's a that's a position. They're, they're kind of like almost hitters in baseball, right? When, when one guy, a couple of guys get a hit, then suddenly everybody's going to the batter's box and they're swinging the bat more freely, Eric, and, and all of a sudden um, the ball seems to get bigger for everybody. It kind of gets mm-hmm. rolling, and and, and – you saw that a little bit with with the secondary. They made a couple of early plays, even though they didn't pick them, but but a couple of pass breakups early, and, and you could see that group's swagger, if you will, confidence. Everything just kind of ramped up and, and, and tightened up. And, and I'm going to tell you, that the play Slaughter made to knock the ball loose on, on key, that was a critical, critical play in the game. Oh, yeah. When you look at where Kentucky was driving, trying to close the gap there, really big-time momentum shift and, and – uh, really good eyes by Slaughter there. That was a huge play in the game, and I thought that got those guys going. You know, they made a couple of early plays that they had not made in other games that seemed to get their confidence going. Now, how does that carry over next week? What's Tennessee's challenge against those two tight ends that Georgia leans on so heavily? Uh, we'll see. We'll see what Tim Banks and, and Willie Martinez come up with. Love their plan last night. Felt like at times, Eric, that they had Kentucky signals. They knew what was coming <laughs> Uh, really early. I thought they had a great scout on Kentucky, and they executed a plan extremely well. Yeah, last thing I want to mention on the defense where we talk offense in the next segment. Um, yeah, uh, Tyler Barron got in on a sack one time. Of course, Byron Young was was back there a couple of times. That last sack there uh, when Kentucky was deep in its own territory, just pure speed off the edge, just running running that circle, uh, you know, circle drill they do in the indoor that we see all the time, just pure speed to get back there. I thought the linebackers played a pretty good game. Aaron Beasley is someone that obviously has improved from year one last year when he played pretty much every snap to this year where he's been a starter at times. He's been a complimentary player at times. He played over 30 snaps yesterday. I think his read and his instinctive skills have uh, put him in better position to make plays. That's something that jumped out to me on tape. But Juwan Mitchell obviously had the interception. He made some plays. But I just think this linebacker group overall, there's – couple more options this year, obviously, compared to last year. But I, th- I think they've been getting a little bit better as the season goes on. And, I mean, there's there's three starters uh, that they play in Mitchell, when all healthy, in Mitchell, Banks, and Beasley. I think they're getting better, and they, they played pretty well yesterday. Yeah, I think that game was tailor-made for all three of those yeah. guys, too. I mean, they are in the box, downhill, uh, high-volume high tackle guys in the run game. That's a, that's a perfect fit for Jeremy Banks. That's a perfect fit for Mitchell. And that's what Beasley has become. That's kind of what he's grown into is a guy who's really good forward uh, at the line of scrimmage in the run game. It's not to say they can't play in pass coverage. I mean, Banks had, you know, had a wheel route that he covered down the, the sideline pretty well. But but that that setup was really good for them. Um, they didn't have to worry about spying the quarterback. They could kind of tee off on, on the running back and, and fill a lot of run gaps. And, and I thought they played physical last night. I mean, that was the big thing that jumped out to me. It's just the physicality that they played with and meeting the running back in the hole, particularly Rodriguez. Other than that one drive, Rodriguez never got going, and, and part of the reason why is the way they rallied to the football. So um, it, it was it was good. I mean, you, you know, that, nobody nobody was really surprised. I don't think that Tennessee scored 44 points. I think most people had it around 40, and all of our predictions, we were around 40 points with everybody. I think I was the, the lowest scoring guy, but, but other – you guys had it around 40 or a little over 40. So that part wasn't a shock. Uh, everybody would have lost their house on that bet if you would have said <laughs> Tennessee's going to hold Kentucky to six points. Not necessarily because Kentucky was a great juggernaut, but Tennessee had trouble getting off the field on third and long. You thought Levis might get behind, you know, somebody might get behind the secondary. They might get a couple of drives going with the run game and, and kind of get the game going in their favor. Um you know, they, they, they could not do that at all. I was surprised Kentucky didn't take the ball to start the game. 
and try to run it down Tennessee's throat, sort of get Tennessee anxious. Instead, Kentucky got anxious because Tennessee attacked early, just like they did a year ago in Lexington. Um, I, I'm befuddled at some of the things head coaches are doing to, to try to in this in their decision making process against the Tennessee offense. Tennessee's offense is really creating some unique decisions by opposing coaches. And uh, we've seen it two years in a row by Mark Stoops chasing mm-hmm. points right at the end of the first half when he weren't in a great position to get points in either in either game. We've seen it in other games this year, and, and Tennessee has capitalized on, on that in, in a big-time way. 205 yards is all Kentucky mustered against Tennessee Saturday night. Six points, 3.3 yards per play. Tennessee's defense certainly showed up. As you mentioned, no surprise Tennessee won this football game and scored 40-plus points. The surprise was allowing just six points and 205 yards of offense. Job well done for Tennessee's defense. What about that Tennessee offense? It did what it normally does. There was a guy that broke a school record and a whole yeah, lot they of had guys open. I, I know that's a great shock to everybody, but but they had guys wide open last night, right? We don't talk about that when we come back. That, yeah. that, 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 that Tennessee was kind of Tennessee last night. Is that where you're going? Yeah, T- Tennessee was doing what Tennessee did all the time so far this season. So more on that to come. The Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane. He is Brent Hubs. We'll be back in 60 seconds. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewinds here at VolQuest YouTube channel. If you haven't already, pound that like button. Let's get it to 500 likes. Help us out here. And if you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. Over on the site, still got that deal going. $1 for one year. Tennessee's 8-0. 4-0 at SEC play. Number one versus number two this weekend between the hedges. No better place than at VolQuest.com. Inviting all Tennessee fans to join us over VolQuest.com on the On3 family. All right. Brent Hubbs, Hendon Hooker, he did Hendon Hooker things. Jalen Hyatt did Jalen Hyatt things. I'm going to go ahead and lead you into what you were trying to say. There was a third, there was a, well, I forgot what it was, a long touchdown reception on the first series of the game. There was another 31-yard reception from Jalen Hyatt. Both of those were wide open. It was Jalen Hyatt, Hendon Hooker, and obviously this coaching staff scheming things up to get those matchups for Tennessee in this favor. Yeah, it's amazing that Tennessee can stack receivers. They've stacked receivers for almost two full years now and, and defenses are having a hard time covering it. And, and they do a really good job with that, that first receiver in front of the stack um, running that skinny post or that square in forcing the safety to feel like he's got to come to the middle of the field and help. And then you get a free release on that trailing receiver on the back end. And, and you know, there's no safety help over the top and whoever's guarding that guy seems to think there's always going to be safety help over the top and there's nothing there. Uh, it, it's just a concept that for whatever reason they put the safety in a bad spot with and the safety has a hard time with it. Uh, you, you look at the second one that Jalen Hyde had of 31 yards, uh, the safety again felt like he had to defend the middle of the field, Eric, because Cedric Tillman was inside the defensive back and he had the middle of the field to him uh, on a post basically that, that uh, or a little seam that looked like he might have a chance to, to get close to the end zone. Um, and then when the safety came down on Tillman, it left Hyatt wide open behind him. It's putting safeties in bad positions, um, and it, it's nobody seems to be able to find an answer to it. You know, one one was a bit of a switch route. The other was just that stack look, but the principle that they're getting done with that is, is basically the same thing. Slot receiver or the trailing receiver in the stack's getting a free release that guy's Jalen Hyatt, and give him a free release. There's not anybody. There's not many people going to run with him, and there's sure as hell not going to be a linebacker run with him, which is what Kentucky tried to do twice last night. Yeah, Jordan Wright, JJ Weaver, uh, no, no chance against Jalen Hyatt. And you know whether it's a post, whether it's a dig, you know that safety's being drawn off by Cedric Tillman. 
and that corner is following Cedric Tillman to open things wide open for Jalen Hyatt. And it happened twice last night. Jalen Hyatt, touchdowns number 13 and 14 on the season. Uh, he sole possession of the Tennessee single season receiving touchdown record. Brent, you've seen a whole lot of football. You've seen a lot of great receivers come through this university. I'd be lying to you if I said that Jalen Hyatt was going to break this record this year if I thought that was a possibility. Knew there was some talent. Knew he had a great offseason. Uh, but what a season he's having. And two more to to add to the books uh, last night. Yeah, and Speed never had a bad day, okay? <laughs> I mean, and look, I mean, J- Jalen Hyatt, Speed. Jalen Hyatt's a talented guy. Um, throw the scheme in there, too, to help Jalen Hyatt get wide open on, on some of these. I mean, some of these are easy, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, – the slot receiver position in this offense, I think, is always going to be really productive. It's a fascinating thing to me how different they are using the slot receiver this year than they did a year ago because there's there, there, it's a different type of player in the slot. Jalen Hyde is a very different type player than Bayless Jones. As a result, they are stretching the field vertically more with the slot guy, particularly in the middle of the field than they ever did with Valus Jones. And so you don't have a whole – you try to throw that wide receiver screen to Jalen Hyatt. That's not really his game, right? You do that to keep him honest. That was a Valus Jones mainstay. He was much better at that. But Valus wasn't going to stretch the field. Um, Playing to to Jalen Hyatt's strengths, Jalen Hyatt playing with great confidence right now, and uh, Tennessee is having a whole lot of fun with the slot receiver position vertically with what they're doing with Jalen Hyatt. Now, here's the thing I'll, I'll say about Hyatt. He's not just a takeoff guy, though, okay? I mean, they use his speed, but he can run a square in. He can run a dig. He can run an out, as we saw against Pittsburgh. So you don't just look at him and say he's a straight-line speed guy. But when they get the matchup they want, Tennessee says, we're just going to throw it over the top. And they've thrown it over the top for five weeks to the tune of Jalen Hyatt setting a school record and getting ready to shatter a bunch of other records um, in terms of uh, yards in, in the season, average yards per catch, and all those types of things. Just really amazing to watch what they're getting out of him, and it's amazing to see how far he has come 12 months from that, you know, from a year ago, 12 months now. If you, if you, I think all of us thought November 1 a year ago there was a, real, there was a shot Jalen Hyatt might not be back in this program yeah. because things were not going very well. Now he's a, a guy who's got a chance to win the Boletnikoff Award. Yeah, it's uh, You've mentioned it's – pretty much every week of the season almost, or at least since week three or week four. Uh, one of the best stories, if not the best story in college football this year is Jalen Hyatt. It's fantastic. Uh, Trey, leave this up for just a second if you wouldn't mind. What I like, Brent, more than Jalen Hyatt, and we can talk Cedric Tillman here in a moment, but how many times have you and I both said, you got to get McCoy involved, you got to get McCoy involved, you got to get McCoy involved, because it's so easy that when you have a healthy Tillman, 18 targets at Pittsburgh, when you have Jalen Hyatt that's on his run right now, uh, you know, doing Jalen Hyatt things, to forget to look to the left side. But going to Brew McCoy late in that Alabama game, what a big boy catch that was. What I liked yesterday, and maybe it helped a little bit um, that Tillman didn't play it at all in the second half, but really it didn't because he hadn't been here the last four games. Look at those targets. He had six receptions, tar- t- uh, nine targets to Brew McCoy. Led the team in targets. I like that. Need to keep Brew McCoy active and in this offense. And he's another guy that can do a lot of different things. You were speaking on that, you know, that that screen pass thrown out in the flat and see what you can get. That is more Brew McCoy's game than it is Jalen Hyde. That's more of a Valus Jones type of uh, play fitted for this offense than Jalen Hyde is for this offense. But it was good to see, in my opinion, Brew McCoy being as active as he was yesterday because he's easy to forget when you got two other guys who are making plays all the time. Yeah, I mean they've got a, I mean they've got a wealth of weapons, um, and and they've you know when they use all their weapons, they become much harder to defend. And and Brew McCoy is a guy who's got strength, he's got size. You know, they missed him on a slant across the middle um, that, that, or a post that had a chance uh, that, that Hooker just threw the ball high. Uh, but but y- you like where he's at, and, and he's a guy that is going to catch the ball. He's a good blocker. They do a lot of, can do a lot of things with him. But you're exactly right. Don't forget him. And Tennessee didn't. Kentucky rolled coverage, which they did a good bit because after Hyatt beat them, you know, for two touchdowns, it was, hey, we got to try to slow this thing down. So they, they rolled some coverage over, gave the backside there on Brew McCoy's side a little more one-on-one look, and, and Tennessee went that way with him. And, again, that, that's the hard part about defending right, Tennessee right now is they are not a one-trick pony in any way, shape, or form. Um, whether it's the three-headed receivers, it's the inflammation of the tight end, um, it's the run game. 
they are really, really hard to defend because every defensive coordinator wants to take something away. And they're just having a hard time taking something away. If you're going to take away the run game, okay, they're going to, they're going to throw it to a whole bunch of people because you're going to be in man coverage. You, you try to take away the, the deep stuff and play some zone, they're perfectly content to run the football. And, and, and I think that's created the evolution of this offense in year two under Josh Heupel is the growth of that run game. We got Troy Fleming coming up in the bottom of the hour. You and I both agree. It was good to see Cedric Tillman back out there. It was good how they managed him not playing him in the second half of a blowout. We'll discuss that later on throughout the week. I text you earlier today when I was rewatching the game, and they're lining Fant up there aside from uh, Hendon Hooker and the shotgun. It was goal line. They gave him the football. He scored that two-yard touchdown run or whatever. Okay, so we've seen him score touchdowns here lately. What we haven't seen, again, it's a new wrinkle every single week. It's something else that you have to prepare for. It's something else as this offense is evolving. You're seeing Prince and Fant take the handoff out of shotgun. You're seeing three tight ends on the football field at one time. Jacob Warren on the line. You have Prince and Fant there at tailback. And then you have Hunter Salmon, who's running across the, the line of scrimmage, kicking the end man out, and Prince and Fant just running right behind that block. Another example of Alex Golish. <laughs> He, consi- he consistently says, we need three tight ends to play. We want three tight ends to play. But just more so than anything, it's another example of how this offense continues to evolve week by week because we hadn't seen that before yesterday. No, and it's, again, it's the growth of that bun- or that tight bunch that's what mm-hmm. it's become. You know what they are when they get in their spread stuff, right? I mean, you're going to run switch routes. They're going to stack receivers. You know, They've got some concepts that are pretty mainstays. What's really growing with this team is what they're doing out of that real tight formation in short yardage stuff, goal line stuff. And the result of that has been really good for Tennessee. Um, and, and again, I, I, I think Alex Gold had a good year last year. Josh Heupel obviously knows what he's doing. Those guys work really well together. Um, I, I think they continue to impress with their creativity, uh, the stuff that they do, uh, Eric, that that's, as you mentioned, a new wrinkle every week. Um, and, and the fact that they're willing to play a variety of styles of football. Okay. I mean, you, you look at that drive that they answered after Kentucky scored to go up seven, six, that is a five minute drive, 15 mm-hmm. plays, 75 yards. That is so atypical of Tennessee. And Oh, by the way, they ran it 13 of the 15 times. Why? Because Kentucky said, we're not going to let it throw you over your head. We're going to empty the box. And Alex Golis said, okay, we'll just run it. We're comfortable We're comfortable running it. And they're comfortable running it because of the growth of the offensive line. That growth of that offensive line, I think, is adding to Alex Golis's creativity each and every week because there's so much trust with them up front. Uh, it's really fun to watch. It's It's been fun to watch this team win a game, cause that, win games because it's got all the fans fired up. If you really like football and you dig into football, it's really fun to see how this team has improved fundamentally at all levels of of play, at all positions of play. And because of that improvement, they are evolving offensively and adding new things every week. Yep. If you're dorks like us and like the uh, X's and O's and all that type of stuff and, and enjoy going back and watching tape, even those horrible football games like the UT Martin games and all that then you probably like this offense an awful lot. We're going to get VFL Troy Fleming on when we return here on the Rocky Top Rewind. We'll talk a little Hendon Hooker. Yeah, he's he's still pretty good, right? He's making this whole thing go. Uh, most importantly, though, Tennessee gets another win over Kentucky. 8-0 heading into Georgia week, number one versus number two. We'll get thoughts from VFL Troy Fleming when we return right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. We'll go back here to the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane, Brent Hubs, as we discuss Tennessee's 44-6 winner over Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee's 8-0 and now looking ahead to the Georgia game coming up this week. And to help us preview that game a little bit, discuss Tennessee ad nauseum uh, throughout this season. Uh, so far, all the good stuff, the highs and the lows. Let's bring on Troy Fleming, former ball running back who's played in a lot of big games himself. Troy, thanks so much for joining us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Oh, you guys are welcome. Thanks for having me. Troy, I just want to ask you, man, when you see Tennessee beat down a rival like that, 44-6, to six, I know that game means a lot to you. Uh, you know, what were you thinking yesterday watching what unfolded? 
I was thinking I, I, I expected us to win, but not by much by that much. I figured that Kentucky would give us a good game. Um, they played us close the last few years. Obviously, we stole one up in Lexington last year. Uh, but the way they played was uh was ref- I say refreshing. It was refreshing to see the defense uh, play at the speed that they played at, and also made the plays that they made. And for a lot of those guys that have been a little bit maligned early on in the season about their inability to tackle or to uh, you know to make big plays, they showed up last night often and early and did extremely well. You know, Troy, I think that's one of the interesting things about this team is it it feels like it's a different guy every week that kind of finds themselves. And, and it's a lot of it's older players, right? Danico Slaughter's been around. He had a big game. Princeton Fant for three or four weeks now has, has done this. As a former player, how impressed are you with the fact that those guys have kind of stuck with it, you know, to this point to get their opportunity? And this coaching staff has stayed with those guys and not – kind of moved on to their guy, if you will, who they signed and said, well, those guys can't help us. We're going to move on. How impressed are you both of those things? I'm extremely impressed with the coaches uh, uh, believing in the guys that were some of the holdovers from the previous regimes and just allowing them to develop and, and, to, and to be able to play within the scheme that they've, uh, they brought in. And, again, Danico Slaughter, one of the guys talked about, moved around a lot. But last night, obviously, he's a safety, but playing corner, uh, got beat a little early, but the guy dropped Robinson dropped the ball, but he came back the rest of the game and played lights out. I mean, he played lights out to Mary McDonald played lights out. The defensive line brought pressure all the time. Linebackers uh, were flying all over the place. And it was good to see those guys playing with confidence. And again, uh, the guys buying into coach Banks, system and scheme and, 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 and really just bringing to the forefront that they also are part of this thing. And I'm not saying that they're not, but everybody always talks about the offense. The offense gets all the publicity, all the headlines, but the defense is starting to show that, hey, uh, we've started out slow, but we're progressing and we're building and we're gaining the momentum at the right time of the season. Troy, we got a question for you. Our guy Donovan's going to chime in. Outside of stopping Brock Bowers, of course, with Georgia, uh, what are some of those key to victories for Tennessee to take down Georgia? Obviously a massive Massive football game. Tennessee needs to do a lot in this football game. But what are some of your keys to victory here early in the week? The biggest thing I, I, when I hear Georgia, I always think running backs. Uh, so if they're able to stop Georgia early on first down and hold them to to small games, gains of two to three, four yards, that's a big win because now uh, you're getting them behind the chains. But if you're allowing them to get seven, eight, nine, ten yards to clip on first down, it's going to be a long day. And then adding Brock Bowers in with his playmaking ability, it'll be a tough and tall task. Uh, if they can't stop those guys early on in the run game. Yeah, I appreciate the question, Donovan. Troy, I want to go back to uh, offensively a little bit right now or, or for this team. We talked about this in the last segment a bit. You, you're seeing Alex Golish, the offensive coordinator, shrink the field. You know, this is this is an offense that's sideline to sideline, and then they get in that with same personnel, kind of get into that tight bunch package stuff that's been really effective for them. When you see what the different ways they're using Fant, you were a four, you were a running back, moved to fullback, who played H-back, who they did a lot of things with. How impressed are you with the, with the kind of growth and the evolution of that part of the offense? And how difficult is for defenses to defend that when Tennessee goes from the spread sideline to sideline to that tight stuff like that? Uh, the answer to your first part of the question is extremely excited and happy for a uh, fan to be able to uh, have his role in this offense increase and expand. And Alex Golish has done a wonderful job of finding ways and creative ways to get him the ball, whether if it's on the shovel pass or if it's lining up at H-back, fullback, or even throwing a swing pass to him, letting him throw it down the field. He's maximizing all his athletic potential and ability that we've known he's had. It's just finding the right place for him and also to find the right system for him to flourish in. And, and it's been great and it's been uh, a much needed, a fresh breath of air uh, for our offensive guys. And, and, and we talked about earlier about the sets and how complicated it is to defend those sets because now you don't have to sub out. You, you know, sometimes in the years past, the way they like to go fast, 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 they still can go fast and still also be able to do some of the power things they want to do. But when they come into those tight sets, they're also able to get the mismatches and get guys out in the flats faster as well too. And so um, I think Kirby Smart started, and I heard, started earlier today in an excerpt um, and he was talking at his press conference. It's like Tennessee plays well. They're at an elite level offensively, and it's tough to difficult for teach coaches to defend, and everyone's trying to figure out how to defend it. And, again, as much as sometimes people may think it's coach talk, it's not coach talk because obviously Kirby knows what Josh Apple is an offense capable of. 
Troy, something we spoke on earlier, and, and I mean, this is, this isn't new. It's it, it, for everything Tennessee wants to accomplish. It, it's got to start on the ground. You got to run the football. Tennessee's been really good uh, at running the football, really good at points and times this season. And, and when I see Jabari Small getting 21 carries and you know, averaging just about four yards per carry, yeah, that's good. Jalen Wright, I thought, ran the football so. Um, I just thought he looked different. He didn't get many carries yesterday, but I thought he looked really different. Um, how important is that run game in relation to now in year two? Tennessee speeds up. It also slows down. It's controlling its own tempo. It's good enough to where it can mix some things up, and I think a lot of that has to do with Tennessee's ability to run the football effectively. Absolutely, and everybody knows if you're watching Tennessee games, after they get their initial first down, they want to go warp speed, um, and obviously a lot of that comes with running the ball. And if you notice, usually they're, they're going to get four or five yards a clip, which now puts them at a manageable second down play, which allows them to be able to call uh, whether they get you know two or three yards on the on the second down play, but it puts them in a manageable third down position. It all starts from the run game, and like you said, Jalen has a opportunity in moments. Uh, he's got to know he had some fumble issues early on, but man, last night he ran with power. He ran with fresh legs. He showed balance. He showed the ability to make you miss. Uh, and, and obviously it's a great one-two punch, which is going to be needed for this weekend. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can figure something out with Troy here in just a second. We lost his audio channel. But, Brent, a lot of truth to what he's saying right there. I mean, with, with the run game, it's allowing to set the – obviously the, the tempo of this offense. It's allowing to do a whole lot of different things. And, and Tennessee, 177 yards on the ground yesterday, ran for over 200 yards against LSU, against Alabama. It's been looking good so far this season. Well, and it's really it's since the pit game. You, you know, when you look at the pit game, Tennessee had 91 yards on 35 carries. Most of that was Hendon Hooker runs because, as Alex Golish said post game, um, they didn't really have a whole lot of confidence in their ability to run the football against Pitt. That 91 yards on 35 carries is an average of 2.6 yards a carry. In SEC play, Tennessee's averaging 4.9 yard nine nine yards a carry, right at five yards uh, with this run game. It's the growth of the offensive line. And, and I think we've talked about it some, but there's so much talk, and, and, and I get it, because you, you've, got, you've got Hendon Hooker, who's a Heisman Trophy finalist. You've got a Bolitnikoff Award finalist, maybe the winner in both those, both those awards from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've you got a lot of things going on that are big plays. But the story about the growth of this offensive group from year one to year two maybe the, the position group that's grown the most is the offensive line. And that's saying something because Jalen Hyatt's a lot better than he was a year ago. Hendon Hooker's playing a lot better than he did a year ago. But for this offensive line to protect Hooker the way they've been protecting him and then to get this run game going uh, the way that they have to the tune of nearly five yards of carry in SEC play. I, I When I gave that stat, I took – I took Akron out of the equation. I took UT Martin out of the equation. That's power five teams, which is SEC football team. They've been really good running the football, which, again, puts the defense in a really, really tough situation. Because now, if Alex Golish and Josh Apple are really patient enough and willing to run the football, as we saw in that one drive I mentioned earlier, then it puts Tennessee in a great spot to dictate the game. Second half against Alabama, Nick Saban goes dime. What did Alex Golish do? They ran the football. So if you want to play zone on the back end, keep everything in front of you, play some umbrella, uh, you know, coverage, and only have a light and have a light box of five or six guys, Tennessee's going to line up and run it, particularly when they bring the tight end back into the formation. <laughs> right, Eric? They get six guys in there. Now they have a numbers win, and that's what they did in that drive. And if they're patient enough to do that and this offensive line can be as physical as they've been, this offense is really, really hard, really yeah. hard to defend. Yeah, it really is, and uh, we're, we're trying to work to get Troy Fleming back here. Great stuff from the VFL. I think a lot of that has to do as well with having a healthy Cooper Mays at center because Tennessee didn't have that last year. Troy, can, can you hear us now? Yeah, my bad. My my phone decided to act up on me. It's all good, man. Uh, I, you know, we'll keep it short and sweet. I know your, your time is precious, and we want to get you out of here, but when you look at Georgia, um, this is arguably the biggest game for Tennessee and you know, what, since, since 2007, 2000, you know, four, one, whatever. It's been a while since Tennessee's played these types of games. As a former player who's still around the program and doing a bunch of different stuff you know, around there, how much pride do you have in where this program has gone in such a short amount of time under Josh Heupel? And th- does it feel kind of like you're getting back to what Tennessee needs to be on a consistent basis? 
Uh, just being as a former player, it's exciting, uh, extremely exciting. Take a lot of pride in the fact of being able to go out and, and brag about your program, brag about how far Tennessee's come in just a short time on the coach hype on his staff. And uh, again, you, you said it best. This is this is probably one of the biggest games uh, in the last almost 20 some years of the program because it's sitting right there on the precipice of being able to say, hey, Tennessee will be playing for the SEC championship game representing if they take care of business uh, Saturday in Athens. Also, too, you know the ramifications this game has when it comes to the college playoff with the news coming out this Tuesday. So, again, excited for this journey to be along as a fan first and then secondly as a VFL. I mean, it's been a long time that we've had something to think about when it came to UT football other than how many coaches can we switch out. <laughs> No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Hey, Troy, thanks so much for the time, man. Sorry about the technical issues uh, there, but great stuff as always. And the door's always open. Please come back and join us, all right? Appreciate you guys. You guys take care. Right, thanks, awesome. Troy. That is VFL Troy Fleming. Pretty good running back here in Tennessee football history. Played on Sundays as well. Uh, always good stuff there from Troy Fleming. He brought up an interesting point, Brent, that I want to hit on the other side here, and we'll have Austin Price join the fray as well. The first installments of the college football playoff rankings, that comes out on Tuesday. Big game coming up on Saturday, but where do we think Tennessee might be positioned in those first rankings? That and more with Austin Price coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind, a final segment here. VolQuest.com, $1 for one year. No better time. If you haven't already joined us, please do over there. Uh, this deal won't last forever. $1 for one year at VolQuest.com on our new platform with the On3 family, having a whole lot of fun. Brent, I think, think you picked the perfect time to, <laughs> to do that because, hey, since we've been here at On3, Tennessee is not lost. Am I right? That's exactly right. And, you know, since they put the vol letters back up, Tennessee hasn't lost. It's, it's all, it's all fallen in perfect harmony right now. Um, it, you know, we've talked about this a million times. You, you want to speed up the rebuilding process, get great quarterback play. And Tennessee's in complete control at, at, you know, on the field when they're out there offensively because of Hendon Hooker. As you mentioned, they can go fast, they can go slow. Mm -hmm. They can check anything at the line of scrimmage. He's got full, um, the, the, the full playbook in at his disposal to do whatever he wants to do. And he's making a lot of great decisions pre-snap. He's making really quick decisions post-snap. Uh, and that speeds everything up for Tennessee uh, and, and for any school in a rebuilding process, when you can get a quarterback to play and Hendon hookers playing at an, at an elite, a level last night, there are a lot of NFL scouts at the state at Needland stadium last night to watch that game. Cause they all wanted to see what will Levis look like. The guy who stole the show at the quarterback position was Hendon Hooker. Will Levis had a rough night, and, and Tennessee's defense had a lot to do with that. Will Levis made some poor decisions, didn't play well. Hendon Hooker was a maestro again last night in complete control of that football game. From the very first snap to the last snap he was on the field, it was his game, and it's been like that since the Florida game, Eric. Yeah, we didn't even really mention Will Levis uh, so far tonight on the Rockets Top Rewind. Three picks, held a 98 yards passing uh, the first pick that he threw was a great play by Danico Slaughter and, and Juwan Mitchell. The second one was a horrendous throw. Uh, the force it there and, and Brandon Turner is able to get it. And then the, the last one, what a fantastic play by Danico Slaughter. Obviously, uh, Will Levis, not the best day. But as you mentioned, uh, Tennessee's playing at an elite level right now because of Hendon Hooker, because of what he's done. And that brings me into this next conversation. I want to bring Austin Price on here as well, get his thoughts uh, as we welcome you back here to the Rocky Top Rewind, Tennessee earlier today tied for second in the Associated Press, number two with Ohio State. Tennessee did get 18 first-place votes, sitting at number two with Ohio State, who got 15 first-place votes. 
uh, both those two teams trailing Georgia. College football playoff rankings, awesome price. The first installment comes out on Tuesday. Where do you think Tennessee will be ranked? And this is the conversation I didn't think we'd be having at all this year, but again, because of Hendon Hooker and his play, a big reason for us having it. I mean, I could see him at one. I, I really could. Um, I, you know, just look at the the resume, and sure, some of those teams they uh, they may not be ranked now or be ranked at the end of the season, but they were ranked when Tennessee played them, and that's all you can go off of, right? I mean, there's no magic crystal ball when you're playing a team and they're ranked, you know, sixth. They want to quit giving those stats away, then quit coming up with rankings before uh, probably right around now. Um, you know, Tennessee sets there at eight and zero. Playing 8-0 Georgia, last time that happened this late in the year was November 14, 1998, when 8-0 Arkansas rolled into Neyland Stadium to take on 8-0 Tennessee. Um, and we all know how that turned out. The reverse this time will be Tennessee going on the road instead of being at home. Um, but uh, the college football world, as it's happened multiple times this season, all eyes will be on the orange and white. Trevor chiming in. I don't think Eric would have Tennessee at the top eight. Yes, I would. I would have Tennessee at the top eight. Brent, you look at Tennessee and you look at that resume for real. Tennessee's got five, as Austin pointed out, at the times of the games being played. Tennessee has five ranked wins. It shrinked the schedule uh, by the football power index over at ESPN. Uh, it's 19th. Ohio State's 52. Georgia's is 75th. Tennessee has the resume. It, I, I'm with Austin. If Tennessee is ranked one, I don't know if it will be, but. And, of course, you play it out on the field, and that's the beautiful thing about this Saturday. But if Tennessee's ranked number one, wouldn't shock me at all. No, I mean, I, I think when you look at it, they, they should be. I think that's why you're seeing so many people uh, on the national media scale around the country are saying Tennessee. They have Tennessee number one because I think they've – look, I've not followed the rankings very closely the, the, since, since they started doing playoff rankings, right? Because it was always going to be the same four teams, and Tennessee yeah. wasn't one of them. It was going to be Georgia. It was going to be Alabama. It's going to be Clemson, and it's going to be Ohio State. And it was just which one, which order were those four in? Um, so I haven't followed it that closely to know all the the, the measurables in it. But when you look at what Tennessee's done, a win on the road at Pittsburgh, who was ranked highly at the time. Now they've not had the season that they wanted to have. Uh, you beat Florida, a nemesis. You take care of that one at home, and then that LSU win looks better and better every week with what Tennessee's done. You follow that up with a win over Alabama. Nobody beats Alabama. There's not a better resume in the country right now. Again, you said it best, Eric. The beautiful thing is all this is going to play itself out on the field. But when you look at resumes, you can't tell me anybody's got a better resume in the country right now than Tennessee has. No. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, Tennessee football, what's it having? Basically, it's, you know, running side by side with Tennessee's weather. You know, uh, you know, you, you just skip seasons. You go from summer to winter and winter to summer. We skip over fall and spring. Tennessee just skipped over the building stage. They decided to go from near probation to the college football playoff com uh, conversation in 18 months. I mean, like, I mean, who saw this coming, right? And th th it's it's really, really, uh, having sat there and watched all this the last two decades, it's really neat to see Tennessee's fans kind of get to experience this, the younger generation, the older generation. I mean, how many – old Vols, if you walked in, whether it be old Tennessee players or just old Tennessee fans that remember the good old days, Hubbard, say, man, you know, I, I, I've been waiting on this for years and years and years. And they're just, they're just kind of soaking up every Saturday. And, uh, you know, both teams, you know, if Tennessee is one, Eric, then, you know, you're going to see both coaches, you know, use the underdog role, right? Georgia disrespected, you know, Tennessee's number one the the national champs. Hype's going to go. We're a double-digit point fate or uh, underdog, you know. It's ridiculous, you know. I mean, like both, both coaches are gonna play that up this week, so um, you know it, it, it's set up to be a, a pretty special uh, Saturday afternoon. Well, I yeah. think the other thing too for Tennessee go, going into this game, because of how they played against Alabama, Eric, because of how they played at LSU, I'm not saying Tennessee fans have this great confidence that they're going to win the game. But, but there, I mean, it'll be a stunner to every Tennessee fan out there if Tennessee is in any way overwhelmed, mm -hmm. if the moment looks too big for Tennessee or feels too big for Tennessee. That's going to be the surprise of all this because Tennessee has not shown that in any way, shape, or form this year, which I think is a credit to this coaching staff, and I think it's a credit to, uh, I guess he's considered a cagey old veteran now in Hendon Hooker, you know, who's um, – 
I mean, he's 24 years old, and I think his maturity shows, and I think it's carrying over to other players in this locker room. Um, Tennessee's going to show. Is it enough to win? I don't know, but I don't have any doubt about Tennessee showing up and being ready to go or being overwhelmed by the magnitude of the game on Saturday. Well, for me, I I think Tennessee fans will will go into this game. They're not scared of Georgia. You know, they've beaten Georgia, you know, a lot more than they've beaten Florida and Alabama even with Georgia becoming good. I mean, you go back, you know, they hadn't beat them since 2016, but before that, Tennessee won, you know, uh, you know, several times, you know, post-2007, right? I mean, post the Phil former firing and all that. I mean, Lane beat them, Butch beat them. Um, you know, th- this is something where, the, you know, I don't think they fear Georgia like maybe, you know, there was, you know, trepidation against Florida or Alabama. So I, I, I think that, you know, that's how kind of the program will approach this. And, again, we've talked about this the last six weeks. Hype and the whole program, they just kind of embrace the moment, right? Here's another moment. And, and I have no doubt that this group will embrace uh, the challenge. Yeah, I, I think something that, you know, Brent just said, it, the only thing that would surprise me is, you know, last year we saw in this football game, we thought Tennessee would go out and perform well in the first quarter because Tennessee had done that throughout the season, did that against Alabama thought Tennessee might score a couple of times in the first half, but it was sustaining, you know, that the deeper you go, whatever, you know, Georgia's depth was much better than Tennessee's depth. And a lot of that may be true still today, but I think the thing that would surprise me about this year, if Tennessee's not ready for the moment, because it was against Florida when all eyes were on Knoxville was against Alabama, all eyes on Knoxville, Tennessee's going to be ready for the moment. If Tennessee doesn't sustain because Tennessee is a obviously much better football team playing better football has more confidence players are developed so I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen. Johnny over here says, I live right outside Athens, Georgia, and I will be rocking my Vols hoodie all week, month, and year. Uh, good luck this week. It's going to be a rough one for you, but uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. And obviously, a lot going on with Tennessee and Georgia, but also recruiting. Another big w- a weekend of recruiting. Tons of uh, guys were on campus. Sam wants to know, Austin Price, uh, any notes from recruits who were on campus this past weekend, you know, that visitor list, anything noteworthy coming out of the weekend in terms of recruiting from the Kentucky game? I, I think Tennessee showed well with with guys like Daniel Calhoun, uh, who's a 2024. Um, they'll continue to show well with, you know, some different players. Um, you know, in that 23 class, you know, had a chance to catch up with uh, former Texas A&M defensive lineman from Heinz College, Derek Hunter. Um, you know, he's one that Tennessee will continue to evaluate, probably bringing on an official in the month of December. Um, you know, as far as players here, I mean, it was a lighter week as far as like 23s, but there was really some impressive 24s. Um, they got to, they got to campus and, you know, Tennessee continues to be in a really good spot, uh, with that class. And, uh, I would expect, I would suspect uh, much the same for the Missouri week, 24s, 25s. We'll see if they can get a TJ Searcy to town. Uh, in, in 2000 or in, in, in for the Missouri game. And then, you know, you'll see them focus more on the 23 class in the month of December. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting too, Austin, is this weekend could be a winning weekend for Tennessee. Yeah, David Hobbs. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you you got a bunch of guys, not just in the 23 class, but you got some 24s, 25s who are going to be at the game, who are from Georgia, that Tennessee is recruiting really hard. Typically, you don't think of an away game as an opportunity in recruiting. But you go show yourself well, you you surprise people and come out of that game with a win, you're going to get a lot of those kids' attention. Now, they're not going to be over there waving orange pom-poms in the Georgia recruiting section, but but the, but guys pay attention, right? I mean, if you're a receiver and you're watching or whatever, I mean, people will pay attention to how Tennessee plays in this game. It, it could be a winning re- recruiting weekend for you away from home if you play well, don't you think? No, that's right. Uh, you know, again, t- this year is going to have way uh, – a way bigger impact on 24 and 25 than it ever did 23, just because so much hay is in the barn for 23. Um, but a guy like David Hobbs, uncommitted, five-star on three. Um, you know, Tennessee's kind of become the team with the most momentum for him. He had a phenomenal time for Florida, backed it up with another phenomenal time at Alabama uh, for the Alabama game. Then went to Alabama last week for his official. I feel like Tennessee's still in a really good spot there. He'll be in Athens for the Georgia official visit. Another chance to see Tennessee live and in person. Um, Tennessee's defensive line continues to overachieve uh, compared to, you know, a lot of what, you know, everybody thought coming into the season just because of, you know, lack of experience and, you know, that type of thing. So, you know, Rodney Garner continues to, to pull all the right strings. And we'll see, you know, 
they get Hobbs in, in, in the boat, you know, on November 25th on his mom's birthday. Um, you know, who else they can uh, pull in here? Again, there are some people reaching out to Tennessee as Tennessee continues this hot trend. Um, you know, but I think Tennessee is, you know, kind of taking a wait and see approach, keep, keep the conversation going with those kids and then potentially get some here for official visits in the month of December. We got some recruiting stuff already on the site from this past weekend, but uh, quickly you can go to ballquest.com and obviously check out the the whole interview and everything. But uh, you had a chance to watch a really good high school football game. You mentioned 24s. You even talked to a 26, a couple good players Friday night locally here in the Knoxville area. Yeah. Boo Carter and uh, you know, Shavar Young going at it, going at it, you know, uh, for Webb and, and Chattanooga Christian. Uh, Boo Carter had three touchdowns, had a pick, looked really, really good, looked apart, played great. Um, his team come up a two-point conversion short. Uh, you know, Webb went for two with 15 seconds to go, won that football game 29-28. Shavar Young, the tw- talented 26, who's gotten offers by Tennessee and several other uh, Power 5 programs, uh, he, he came down with the two-point conversion catch. Um you know, Boo Carter's one that, you know, continues to, to like Tennessee a good bit. He went to Michigan over the weekend, but he was here for the Florida game. He was here for the Alabama game. And, uh, you know, Tennessee's got a lot of momentum with the young man from Chattanooga. Smooth player, explosive. And, and Shavar Young can run, right? Boo Carter tracked him down from one side of the field to another. And I was like, whoa. I mean, you, you know, you, you really – you go back to that, that camp that Tennessee had at the end of June – you know, they put those GPSs on all those kids to kind of get their speed and stuff. And, you know, Boo Carter, I think, was second fastest at that camp behind Martellus Carter, uh, another kid from Chattanooga, um, who they play together on the same seven-on-seven seven team. So, you know, really, really impressive. Uh, that, that that Chattanooga area is really booming with uh, talent when you look at the 24 and 25 classes. Um, you know, just really, really impressive. And Orange Sea Lion says Tennessee is going to be loose, nothing to lose. Sam says 48-45 Tennessee. Dan says Vols 48, Puppy Dogs 24. It won't be that. <laughs> if, it is, say, if it is, then that'll, uh, you know, whoa. <laughs> we'll have plenty of stuff coming up this week, Brent Hubs. Obviously, we're not going to give our picks right now. That's coming up on Friday. But Brent, tons of stuff. If you're looking forward to uh, Tennessee and Georgia, we got it covered over at VolQuest.com this week, right? Yeah, no doubt. And look, this is what it's about. I mean, you, you want to play meaning. I hate to sound like a coach here. You want to play meaningful games in November. But as a fan, you want your team to be playing in games that count in November. And, and there's no bigger game in college football than this one on Saturday. And, and Tennessee's a part of it. And uh, it's a welcome sight for us. And it's obviously a welcome sight for Tennessee fans to embrace and enjoy. So enjoy the week. We're going to give you all the coverage we can give you at Vol Quest, and it should be a ton of fun all season, all week long, getting ready for a game uh, of the magnitude we've not seen in, in a long time at Tennessee. They, they remember what you do in November, Hubber. That's what they, uh, that's what the old head coach here for a long time used to tell his teams. That was beating Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Yeah. You beat Georgia in the month of November. Yeah, that was. They'll never forget this one as long as Tennessee football yeah, it's played. Yeah, it, it was easy to win in November. A lot easier to win in November when you were finishing <laughs> up with those teams you were finishing with. This is taking on a new a, a new turn in November. But again, this is what you want, right? I mean, how fun is it that you're playing a game where the where the division wasn't decided in September? You think about the SEC. I mean, you think the commissioner's happy? We're rolling into the month of November, and you've got LSU and Alabama for the West, uh, and you've got Tennessee and Georgia, which is probably going to dictate the East. It's been a while since they can say that the, the, the divisions were settled in the month of November because typically that's not been the case. Big week for Tennessee. Big week for me. This will be the biggest football game I've ever covered. So looking forward to that selfishly. And uh, again, I'll we'll have everything. Yeah, no one, you guys aren't laughing, but whatever. Uh, VolQuest.com. Hey, join us. We're going to have a whole lot of fun. $1 for one year, please. $1 for one year. If you want to and you just you weren't too sure about it, this is the time right now. This is the week. So undefeated 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 so join us over at volquest.com and if you're watching on youtube please pound that like button let's get it to 500 likes and throw us a subscribe if you wouldn't care for brett hubs and austin price i am eric kane thank you guys as always for chiming in in the comments section we'll do it again next sunday night eight o'clock for the rocky top rewind Lucky.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.